1: Hi, everyone, I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and you're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Katya Beacham, the co-founder of Birchbox. If you haven't heard of Birchbox, they have monthly subscriptions delivered to your door of the newest, latest, hottest samples in beauty, and it's designed to really just make your life easier. So one of the things I'm really excited to announce on the podcast is that Birchbox and the Female Founder Collective, the organization that I launched, are partnering in the month of May to celebrate the entrepreneurial accomplishments of women. The May Birchbox was designed by this incredible artist, Leah Gorin. We're hosting a giveaway together. Yay! There are 50 prize packages, and there will be a selection of women-founded beauty brands sampled during the month of May. So if you want to check it out, you can go to birchbox.com forward slash FFC. I hope you enjoy us curating and customizing these boxes filled with badass ladies. Hi, Katya. Hey there. So Katya, Beacham and I go way back. Uh, We met on an airplane that was for a women-only event. Yeah, power trip, Marie the, Claire. The power trip? The OG power trip. That's right. We were the first ones just putting it out there. Um, and then we were on a TV show together <laughs> where we really learned
0: a lot yeah. about each other. We did. We
1: were <laughs> hanging out a long time every day. If only it were that easy In the to same do. exact outfit. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> yes. I had to put on that outfit stink a little. So every day for a month we wore the same clothes. Yes
0: pretty much and got our hair and makeup done which personally cannot
1: handle that every day. No, that was a lot. I felt like after that I needed to chisel off maybe a good inch of my face. Yes, same. But prior to that, you are the founder of Birchbox?
0: Yeah. Started Birchbox in 2010 officially.
1: Wow. Prior to that what w-
0: what was your story? Um well, way back. I'm from a, I'm from El Paso, Texas, born in Austin. I moved up to this part of the country when I went to college at Vassar studied economics, international studies, and in Spanish in undergrad, and then I went into real estate finance. I was in commercial real estate investment banking as an analyst for the first three and a half years of my career and decided that I was just feeling the need to work harder and use my brain, use more of my brain. So I decided I would apply to business school and I applied and got into Harvard And knew that I couldn't pass that up. And that's where kind of all of this started. Because prior to that, I think I just had a very practical view of a career, which is that it was work. It wasn't something I was particularly going to love. My job was to try not to hate it. And I had no concept of entrepreneurship whatsoever. I mean, I obviously knew what the word was. But where I'm from, it's not a career path that people, you know, that seems like natural. Whereas I think when you're in New York City or in, you know, San Francisco, you hear it and you're like, oh, right, right, totally. That could be a thing. But it was not as a part of my me at all. It never occurred to me. Like what was that
1: aha moment?
0: Yeah, I remember it really distinctly because there is at Harvard, there's two years of curriculum. One year is a required year where everyone takes the exact same thing. And that first year they used to have a class called the entrepreneurial manager, which is mostly about entrepreneurship and starting companies and I honestly feel at that point HBS was much more focused on being practical about entrepreneurship and that class was focused a lot on the reality which was failure you know we all know the stats that almost every startup fails and there was just every single story had really really kind of epic conclusions and I just remember myself leaning in in a way that I don't think they intended where I was like That sounds like a life I want to live. I want to fail daily. (laughs) I just, I think I had been, I felt so stifled as a young person working and just not knowing what I was capable of that it just struck me that I wouldn't be able to hide as an entrepreneur and that I would have to learn what I could do. And I was just fascinated by that. Like, I just wanted to know what was possible if I was the one dictating the rules. Like, what would my limitations be? When would I meet them? kind of believing that I would meet them because all of these stories told me I would, (laughs) but just wanting to know what they were because I felt like that was such an important part of having a career and imagining at that point, I imagined maybe you can have a career where there's like joy and love and not just this trade-off of I have to do this to earn a living.
1: Right. And so you were in business school when you and your former co-founder decided to launch something that had never been done before? That's right. We were in business school. We were
0: starting the second year of business school and our intention initially was just write a business plan. And we thought, what will we write a business plan about? We just noticed that in a time when there was a lot of female entrepreneurs and people talking about disrupting consumer categories geared towards women, that no one was talking about beauty. And that was honestly the first insight. We were like, isn't beauty big? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and neither of us were from the industry, and we just realized, you know, yes, it's massive. It's a five hundred billion dollar industry, but it's the fastest growing industry still to this state That's a mature industry, and at in two thousand and ten, it was still only two percent sold on the internet. And that was our big aha moment when we thought, well, you know, there's clearly a reason no one has figured out how to sell beauty on the internet, but why not us? Why can't it be us that figures this out? And we identified. People don't buy beauty on the internet or anywhere for two main reasons. One is that it's really confusing. There's a lot. And we all know that kind of dilemma of if there's too much choice, you might not make one. And then the other reason for beauty was that because there was a lot and because there was this requirement of trying a product before you purchased it, every customer said it, I will, you know, I have to try it before I buy it. If it's prestige, Um, that was the limitation of the internet. You know, you couldn't smell it. So basically. We said, wow, this is a huge opportunity. We just have to overcome massive volume that's inhibiting choice and trial. And how will we do that? And that's
1: how Birchbox was born. So you decided to sell samples, which also was a tough thing to convince people, like, actually, you're gonna sell me your samples. The
0: industry and investors told us many times that that would never work. We went to pitch people and they were like, consumers expect samples are free. This is not happening. But- okay, fine, we'll help you with this test. And maybe magic happens. So you
1: had people say no, a lot of people say no. Yes, a lot. Uh, so one thing I get told and asked a lot is like, what do you do if people keep saying no? And how did you guys get over that? I think that one of the things that I've
0: learned about myself, I'm um, going through the whole experience of starting and running a company is that There's just something about me where I didn't hear the no. I mean, obviously, I heard the word no, but I really didn't take it as no. I was like, I'm getting to you. (laughs) Like, this is working. (laughs) I'm wearing you down. It's almost this blinders. I'm sure you felt it, too, when you started your company, like all of this adversity. But you choose to see that it's possible. And I remember when people said no, my immediate thought was I didn't sell that right. Right. like it definitely wasn't that it was a bad idea. Right. I immediately was like I have to figure out how to sell this better. So, I became consumed with like listening to the no and what were they saying no to and what was the opposition and it was obviously very different for an investor than for somebody who's running a beauty brand. You know, they had different reasons that they believed it was a no. Um so listening and then kind of arming myself ready to get to yes was a huge part of the
1: early days. I say a lot that no is just the beginning of yes. It definitely Unless you're on a
0: date i know that you say no to a man <laughs> <laughs> literally my team used to joke that no means yes with Katya, but except for on a date
1: yeah yeah I, I we do these quotes on our instagram and i put that on my instagram once and the backlash was astounding i was sure like, they didn't you're enabling rape right that's sexual. not what we meant no
0: <laughs> no we meant purely in business when um, trying to get somebody to see that you could change the world right definitely
1: you were in business for how long before you encountered, you know, maybe it wasn't working for you and your co-founder and and what led you to lead the charge on your own?
0: Yeah, I guess that we were in business for about four years officially. We had really started testing or kind of ideating in 2009, launched in 2010. 2014 is when Haley, my co-founder, decided it was time to leave. And, you know, it's obviously something that's such a hard thing to navigate because first and foremost, Birchbox would never have existed without us, without the two of us, without also the first person we hired, without all of the early employees, like everything about how this happened. And I'm sure you can relate just feels magical. You know, we really had such a complimentary skillset, Um, and it was so necessary to move quickly that we had to be together. And eventually we just realized that It was more difficult to get to this next level of a company together. And we had to make the choice say, like, well, you know, what do we want to do as individuals? And we decided this made sense. But it's, you know, it's extremely challenging going from a situation where you have somebody that's just as invested as you are that you kind of know all the time is like going through this roller coaster of insanity with you. Um, It helps you from feeling lonely. But of course, it also has challenges having a co founder where. You have a different perspective. You, your organization starts to be large. You, you know, don't have as much time to, you know, make sure that you're like really getting on the same page about everything. So, the challenge is almost impossible to explain. But one thing I'd say is that I know for a fact that that Birchbox couldn't have existed without the two of us. And you know, we came to a point where we just decided we have to think about the best thing for the company.
1: So, when you launch something and you. Did you have to, sometimes I look at like the momentum, like you see the wing launch and from the outside, at least, right. It is a momentum that is not propelled from the inside, Mm -hmm. right. It is a groundswell of women, like attacking that place. Yeah. (laughs) When I launched mine, right. The momentum was from the outside and me, me, but how, when you launched, there was this groundswell, right. After you convinced these VCs and these cosmetic suppliers. Yes. How did you turn that momentum into a sustainable business?
0: I mean, I mean, momentum is definitely a necessary part of building a sustainable business. And how do you keep momentum is, you know, it's, it's actually such a confusing concept because definitely what you can't do is keep doing the same thing, right? Right. So it's all about kind of finding how the world has changed and how you fit into it now. But I'd say learning how to bottle the energy and passion of the organization and focus on the most important thing that I learned is that you have to get out of this idea that what you're doing is actually, in our case, delivering you know products for ten dollars a month, personalized samples. You have to understand what's at the actual like underlying insight, which for us is that the everyday woman consuming beauty is not a priority of the industry. The industry prioritizes and obsesses over women who are obsessed with beauty, but the majority of us. Just have a casual relationship and want it to be more delightful to discover beauty. And we as a company have to realize our job is to deliver to that consumer and become like the beacon and the home for where she loves to buy beauty. It's not to send her samples. And we have to be open to all the changes that has to come if we are really having our you know ear to the ground and listening to how the world is changing how this consumer is experiencing life differently we just have to be open and willing to see a possibility where birchbox could be something else but still deliver on this value proposition and this promise that the consumer wants so that's what i i think that's what keeps momentum is that you try not to focus on thinking it's something so tactical and specific instead it's this like underlying you know, insight about the customer, passion for delivering to that customer. And how do you keep reminding, you know, each other and the world how you're making real progress for that customer?
1: And where did you get the name Birch Box? Because I remember when I got my first one, it was a Birch Box. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because that's, we thought it was so clever. So we, <laughs> we, um, Haley and I were the embodiment of this target customer, this woman who's not obsessed with beauty. And we just had all of this aversions to naming the company something that was like glam or glossy, or you know, it just didn't represent something that we thought was ideal. So we wanted something that was more about beautiful imagery. And then we were business school students. So we said it has to be gender neutral at the beginning of the alphabet, easy to spell, easy to say. And we just kind of started with trees because we we thought nobody can really hate a tree and it doesn't have a gender <laughs> specific thing. We found birch. We loved all of the attributes of a birch tree, the way it kind of sheds its skin, the way it looks in all seasons, the way you can kind of represent it in a modern way or a very classic way, because we didn't know what the brand would look like. And we, you know, loved that name, made a list of 50 other horrible names what was one of them oh my god like in the no box or something you know and we then basically Haley was out of town one of the brands had responded and was like what's the name and i just had to pull the trigger because i knew we both love that name so she came up i couldn't get a hold of her she was unreachable in nepal and she landed and i was like so it's called birch box i just spent my life savings buying it from a squatter we own it so, <laughs> so that's how it happened wow. um, but there's a lot of fun thing about things about birch trees too. They grow better together. They like I said, they just have all of these different representations of themselves in a the season. They're really strong and resilient trees.
1: You know, it all worked. So you have over half a million subscribers. Yes, way more than that. So how is it that now that you have this huge business, you approach your relationship with your customer, you know, she's not the first 10 women that signed up. Yeah. And how do you make that experience feel still personal? Such a
0: great question. Um we really are so focused on this right right now, every day at Birchbox, Gary Vaynerchuk was a really early investor in Birchbox, and he said something to me profound a few years ago that he was just really focused on this idea of scaling the unscalable and like why can't you do like crazy, profound things to really achieve something that nobody could expect you could do? And I just started, you know, really believing that's that has to be what we do because obsolescence for every company is a reality. Obsolescence. Like this idea that you could just be obsolete one day. You could just no longer be relevant to the consumer. And if you don't really push yourself to think about What does relevance mean today? What is it going to mean in a few years? How is the concept of people feeling like they need you in their lives sustainable? And we started changing the way we talked about what we were trying to do. So the simplest example would be going from like personalized to personal and human. And instead of just focusing on this like algorithmic thing that we do have, which helps, you know, match consumers and product, we thought about how do we contextualize it in a way where... It considers you and it also feels more, you know, what we are, which like thoughtful. It isn't just like you, Rebecca, like robot says, like have wavy hair here. You know, it acknowledges like things that you've sampled and haven't liked. Um, it gives you context when we're trying to like push you to try something new and make you a believer in something. So that's something that we really focus on. But I mean, look, the other big effort that we have is now how do we exist in the real world? Because there's a big question, I think, in my mind about how to compete with all of the things that are trying to take your your attention on the internet. And I do really, really believe that doing more in the real world is extremely interesting and the way to cut through the noise. And honestly, Birchbox was the OG omni-channel business because the first thing we did was send you something from like the U.S. Postal Service and it cut through the inbox. I mean, it was at a time when flash sales were just filling your inbox and it went viral in real life. It did not go viral on some sort of internet sensation. Office buildings, apartment buildings, it was like little minesweepers like (laughs) coming across the country where you'd just be like, oh, and now it's in like Ohio, you know, it just happened that way. So- Trying to focus on how do you scale the humanity is
1: hugely on our mind with what we're doing with Walgreens too. So Walgreens became a partner. Yes. Right around the same time that you were just pregnant by accident with your fourth. Yes. So I would love for you to talk about the intersection of mother of three, changing company, baby on the way, Mm. you know. Real hard year. (laughs) It was a really hard
0: year at the company. Um, just going through a lot of changes, we were going through a recapitalization. What does from, that mean means one of our minority investors became a majority investor at the company and totally recapitalized and bought out the company. We were also going through partnership conversations with Walgreens, which is a massive an international retailer talking about both launching and pilot stores, what a huge and massive rollout could look like and a potential equity investment, which came to fruition. And at the same time, I got diagnosed with something um, right before, like right in the middle of my second trimester, which put me in the hospital for the remainder, like hundred days of my pregnancy. And it just was all of these things happening just felt so insurmountable um, and so impossible. And I couldn't believe, I mean, there's This has happened many times at Birchbox where I'm like, this is the bottom. Nothing could be harder than this moment. And then somehow the floor drops and you're like,
1: wait, I thought
0: this was the floor.
1: Um, I don't know what you're talking about. No, it's so easy.
0: Um, And this was definitely one of those moments where I, like, just couldn't believe it. I mean, I just remember having, like, one of the hardest days I've ever had at work and then taking a pregnancy test and being like, no way. And then later that day being like, wait, what, I'm three months pregnant? How did anything survive in my body given the amount of stress that is happening right now? And I just, all of these things just felt, like, unreal. And then, of course, having to navigate and kind of, you know, really get the company to this new and exciting opportunity without being able to be there myself, which I know is when I'm at my best, was
1: very challenging, but it happened. So one thing that struck me about you as very inspiring was throughout this whole time, you were incredibly positive. Even if you were like crying, you were still (laughs) smiling. Where did you find that strength from? I think
0: You know, throughout all of this experience, like whether it was just the regular roller coaster hardships of starting a company or this like very specific thing that came with a health matter, I do just feel incredibly lucky. Like what an effing privilege to get to try to change people's lives. And I still can't believe it. I mean, I told you I spent most of my life just assuming my career would be, you know, boring at best. And the fact that, you know, we had this fortune of... Coming at this intersection and this moment in time where Birch Box could come to fruition at such scale so quickly. And then I just had this realization that as a woman, it's my like duty to see this through as far as it can go because so few people, so few women get the at bat to try to kind of change the expectations for women, change the trajectory that I like have to swing, have to swing hard, and I have to expect that I'm going to like strike out a bunch and have to come up to bat again. And so That just became like a part of what I expected. And I saw, I really do see just the privilege in it. The privilege in getting to try is real. So few people get to even have a chance to change the trajectory of their lives and the lives of other people. And very important to me, the lives of women and the careers of women. And I just realized like, that is so special. I'm so lucky. I need to focus on that. At the same time, I have three really healthy kids, a husband who's been so amazing, supportive, loving, romantic, facilitating this crazy career. If I can't feel gratitude, like screw me, like that's ridiculous. I have (laughs) to be able to see how blessed and wonderful this life is, even when it comes with like days where the floor drops out,
1: you know? Wow. And you have a beautiful baby girl.
0: Now I have my first girl. And I honestly she just seems so smart and so strong and, and she seems like she has so much gratitude. We went through a lot bringing her to this world. And I know I'm projecting because she's a tiny baby, but the way she looks at the world and her ease of smiling, I'm like, she actually feels grateful to be here. And what better thing is there? Nothing. Yeah. Gratitude. I think, I think having more of it and just walking around feeling like today is a good day and, and, you know, no matter what, it is a good day. Right, we're healthy. We're able to try. Like that is a great day. Being able to try is a great day. And and you know, I think you learn really quickly that if as an entrepreneur, if you live for arbitrary milestones, it is not a life. No, you got to live for the like everyday wins of watching someone's whole career trajectory change or learning something really hard for, you know, the 10th time and it really sticking. Um, And you have to live for that every day. Otherwise it is no life. It is no life. Agreed.
1: I recently called you about working together Mm -hmm. on something with Female Founder Collective. Do you want to tell, you want to share what we're doing? Yeah, sure.
0: So in May, we are doing a collaboration where I hope what you feel we're going to help launch this idea of what, Female Founders Collective is, which is your brainchild of helping consumers know really easily how they can support women. So we're going to help tell the story of the companies that are part of it and you. And um, I think it's so smart because you know this, but consumers want to have more transparency in what they're doing and what they're how they're voting with their dollars. And, you know, I'm very excited that Birch Box is going to be a part of it for the long haul, but launching with our May box. That's right, bitches. It's going to be so cool. And how do they sign up for these boxes? Birchbox.com. You can sign up now and you'll get the
1: May box in May. So as a mom of four, what are some of the things you've learned that helps you get by? As a working mom of four. I feel like
0: I've learned so much as a mother that is so um, related to being a manager and running a business. The example that I think of it came to mind immediately was when I was first sleep training my twins and obviously people have different philosophies on sleep training but I remember having this moment of realization it's so hard to hear your babies cry so so hard where I realized that going and comforting them immediately was doing so much more for me than it was for them because honestly it just made me feel better that I didn't have to hear them cry it made me feel like awesome that I can comfort them and give them hugs and that makes them feel better but it really didn't help them feel like they were okay long-term. It was this Band-Aid, this like short-term Band-Aid, which is not smart. And I started equating it to this realization that people at work would come to me and ask me a question and I would give them an answer immediately. Entrepreneurs, if anything, we got answers. It's not because we have perfect information. We have opinions. That's how this all started, right? (laughs) And so if someone asks you a question, natural inclination is answer, very subjective answer, but still. And I started realizing that it was taking away this agency from my team, um, to give them those answers instead of like giving them the other question or pushing them to kind of come to something themselves and and get to a place where they thought through good or bad. Um, it was a very short-sighted way of operating very much about making me feel good. Ah, oh, they had a question. I solved the problem. I gave them an answer that felt so good. But really it was leading to long-term problems of being a bottleneck in the company, having everybody have to like come to me, right? And also taking away their agency, taking away like agency is a really important part of your team feeling passionate about what they're doing, right? Like feeling empowered, feeling like you are meeting yourself, you are pushing yourself to these limits. That is a hugely important part of feeling motivated to do the impossible. And that is what it takes to succeed at a company today is motivation to do the impossible. So I remember going through that experience of sleep training and having this aha moment of saying, you know, I need to think long-term about how these kids are gonna get to understand that they're okay. They're okay. And that they, I can't just do this for me feeling good that I am the source of comfort all the time. They have to understand that like, they're okay. I am here in the world, but they don't have to like see me every single time the little squeal comes out of their mouth. But it was, you know, those things are really hard to like keep momentum with. There are definitely times you wanna just say like, screw it and just snuggle your babies. And you should do that too. I did that last night.
1: We ended our week, week long sleep training (laughs) (laughs) attempt. I was like, you're just going to come back in the bed. That's how that's going (laughs) to go. You have to be able to be flexible in all of this. Totally. I definitely believe that. I also missed him. I was like, I don't see him enough. And this is my only time that I get to see him. So I feel that way every time. Yeah. And people, I mean, when my baby wakes up in the middle of the night, I am like, hi there, baby girl. (laughs) I'm excited to see you, but also tired. So I like to ask all my guests, what is one thing that we would be surprised to know about you? It can be personal, it can be clinical, it can be (sighs) work related.
0: One thing that would be surprised to know about me. It's not Googleable. Right. I mean, I suffered for a long time from like cystic painful acne that I had to get, like not all over my face, but cysts that would be like under my skin and I'd have to get injected um, that came as, you know, results of like hormones, skincare, all of it. And it's... I remember, like that was happening very regularly and all the time before I learned how to kind of calm things down.
1: I too suffered the worst. It's bad, right? Yeah,
0: and and it like you, it actually looks like a swollen part. It isn't like a zit that is that gratifying pop. pop. Right? Nope, it is like yeah, just there. You can't get to it, and you have to do other things. But ever since doing like taking care of my skin better and getting these regular fifteen minute laser facials, skin laundries a hack for like making sure your skin is
1: staying very clean good for moms with no time 15 minutes the best um anything else you want to add it's lovely seeing you i know always lovely and (laughs) wonderful that was katya i hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget we have a giveaway we're doing together so go to birchbox.com forward slash ffc to not only subscribe and get your box but also enter the giveaway And for those of you who haven't hit the subscribe button, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, review the show, send us a DM, send us questions, what you want to know. And thanks for listening, always.